Friends, we can all listen to the sunny side of sports. Great show, bro. This is Sunny Side of Sports. Right here on The Voice of America. Voice of America. Sporty greetings to all our Voice of America listeners. This is VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. Welcome to the March 9th edition of the sunny side of sports. Voice of America. The Voice of America is once again a proud broadcasting partner of the Men's Basketball Africa League, or BAL, which tips off its third season on Saturday in Dakar, Senegal. The VOA will be broadcasting the BAL games on radio in five languages, English, French, Bambara, Portuguese, and Kenya, Rwanda. The Cape Town Tigers will once again be representing South Africa in BAL Season 3. During Season 2, the Tigers advanced to the quarterfinals, where they were eliminated by eventual champion U.S. Monastir of Tunisia. Tigers captain Peter Prinsloo tells me South African fans have been rallying more and more behind the team. You know, it's been been quite interesting from when I first got to South Africa and when the Tigers first started to where we're at right now. Uh, Definitely a lot bigger fan base and just people overall knowing who we are. You know, when I first got to SA, obviously nobody knew about it, but now the way we've reached, now you see people that recognize us in public places that ask for photos and the popularity keeps growing and with what we've done we've managed to help the whole situation in the terms of the national basketball uh we haven't had a national team since 2017 because of some political issues and with what tigers has accomplished they've um fixed the whole situation around that and and we're about to have the national teams being reassembled again now for the afrobasket qualifier so um, the fan base has grown incredibly. You have younger kids now who are always trying to you know, ask us stuff. You have people in public that's coming up to us. So I've seen a big difference in the two years that Tigers have been there and the amount of popularity that we've gained you know, over social media and just in public all over the place. Basketball is one of the fastest growing sports in South Africa, with junior leagues exploding, thanks in part to the BAL. Zahir Kassam reports from Soweto, South Africa. The feeling inside the arena is electric. Local side Soweto Academy is taking on a junior NBA team from Royal Bafokeng. It's about bragging rights to see who the best ballers in the country are. And no one is holding back. Ten years ago, there were three clubs in Soweto. Today, there are more than 30 clubs for boys and girls. Coach Monwabisi Dlamini co-founder of the Soweto Basketball Academy, says a lot of growth can be attributed to the Basketball Africa League. Bal is like NBA in Africa. These kids are really like, are, are crazy about it. They're crazy about the fact that they're actually seeing NBA type of basketball right here in home. So, I mean, when we had our, the, the, the qualifiers, when we, our kids went to go watch the, the Tigers, that was an, an amazing experience. Because you were seeing actually the very best of the best in Africa and some international players playing there. And it's really helped grow basketball because now, like I'm saying, when kids are seeing this up close, this is something to behold. So it's an amazing experience. The success of the BAL has been built on the foundation of work done by the NBA and other basketball organizations over the years, explains BAL Vice President 
John Manuel Planch. He says the BAL is now the pinnacle of basketball on the continent. The way we think about it is there is the entire basketball ecosystem, the development work, the junior MBA programs, basketball without borders, etc. But then sitting atop that is this, you know, glitz and glamour of what the BAL represents, showcasing African talent globally. Since its inception, the Soweto Academy has made sure that the club trained boys and girls. 13-year-old Bokangle Fakane says she looks up to players like WNBA star Candace Parker and says her future, like Parker's, is destined for the courts. I play basketball because it's the first sport whereby I felt connected to it and literally I first loved. Nowadays, we're finding a lot more girls playing and literally striving for the same, for the same achievement that we also want to strive for. Voice of America. Voice of America is a broadcasting partner of the African League, which kicks off its new season on March 11th. Point guard and captain of the Soweto Raptors, Nkhlanhla Lekapo, says he wishes there was a BAL team in Johannesburg, but for now, he's happy to support the only South African club in the league. But I know my favorite team is based in uh, Cape Town, Cape Town Tigers. I follow it, everything about them. I love how they move. I love the ball, the ball movement, the hustle, the determination, the consistency that they put every time that they go inside the court. Outside, the boys continue to practice their dunks. They might not be slamming it into the net yet, but just like the sport, they will continue to grow. Zay Kassam for VOA News, Soweto, South Africa. Season 3 of the Basketball Africa League is here. Starting off in Dakar from March 11th to March 21st for the Sahara Conference. Then heading to Cairo from April 26th to May 6th for the Nile Conference. And the excitement continues to build in the finals in Kigali from May 21st to May 27th. Tune in and follow the BAL on The Voice of America. The Basketball Africa League is a partnership between the International Basketball Federation, FIBA, and the National Basketball Association, the NBA. In NBA action Wednesday night, the Boston Celtics and the Cleveland Cavaliers both posted victories, as we hear now from the AP's Dave Ferry. The Celtics' three-game losing streak has ended with a 115-93 thumping of the Trailblazers. Jason Tatum nailed six three-pointers while scoring 30 points. Al Horford added 17 points, six rebounds, and five assists as the Celtics pulled within two games of the Eastern Conference lead. I was just really early on taking what the defense was giving me, uh, the way they were playing me, and um, guys found me early, and, and I was able to get into a rhythm uh, really early. Derek White chipped in 21 points and five assists to help Boston avoid its first four-game skid of the season. Damian Lillard had 27 points and eight assists for the Trailblazers. The Cavaliers have clinched their second straight winning season with a 104-100 win at Miami. Cavaliers coach J.B. Bickerstaff. I thought our guys did a great job of maintaining their poise um, and being able to come up with the win and just making and, you know, credit to Jared Allen. Uh, you know, he was a dominant force defensively on the fourth quarter and on the boards. Darius Garland dropped in 25 points for the Cavs. Donovan Mitchell finished with 18 points, and Jared Allen had 15 with 12 rebounds. The Heat committed a season-high 24 turnovers, leading to 29 points. Jimmy Butler was high man for Miami with 28 points, and Tyler Hero added 22. I'm Dave Ferry. Thanks, Dave. Now let's go to the southern U.S. city of New Orleans, Louisiana where the New Orleans Pelicans defeated the Dallas Mavericks 
The AP's Denny Cap reports. C.J. McCollum drained 16 of his game-high 32 in the fourth quarter to lead the Pelicans past the Mavericks 113-106. McCollum's seventh 30-point game of the season helped New Orleans win for just the second time in its last eight games. I didn't score a lot of points in my career and I hit big shots. I'm just trying to do what I can to help the team win. So it was it was nice to make some shots and make some plays, but it's even better when it comes in a win. Kyrie Irving had 27 to pace Dallas. Injuries affected stars on both teams. Luka Doncic added 15 for the Mavericks before leaving in the third quarter after re-injuring his left thigh, while Brandon Ingram had 12 for the Pelicans before exiting with an ankle sprain just before halftime. I'm Denny Cap. Thanks, Denny. I'm VOA's Sonny Young in Washington, and you're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. The four other winners on Wednesday night in the NBA were the Atlanta Hawks, the Chicago Bulls, the Phoenix Suns, and the Los Angeles Clippers. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel. In honor of Women's History Month, we feature distinguished public servant Alice P. Albright, the CEO of the Millennium Challenge Corporation. A unique U.S. foreign assistance agency, MCC was created nearly 20 years ago to fight poverty through economic growth. The daughter of former U.S. Secretary of State Madeleine Albright talks about the impact of MCC from Africa to Asia. That's Press Conference USA this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. Thanks, Carol. The career of the longest tenured men's college basketball coach here in the USA ended Wednesday. Syracuse University announced Jim Beheim's Hall of Fame career in central New York came to a close after 47 seasons as the program's head coach. Once again, here's Dave Ferry. Basketball coach Jim Beheim said at a news conference Wednesday that it was up to Syracuse to decide whether he returns for a 48th season. The school quickly responded by announcing that assistant Adrian Autry is replacing Beheim, who was second on the all-time wins list for Division I coaches. I've just been lucky to be able to coach this long. I've had 47 years. I got to coach my sons. Uh, two years ago, we were in the Sweet 16, and last year I got to coach my sons. I, I had a great team. I love that team. His resume includes 34 NCAA tournament appearances, 10 Big East regular season titles, and five conference tournament championships, along with the NCAA title in 2003. But the Orange haven't had a 21 season in four years. I'm Dave Ferry. Thanks, Dave. One of the premier events in professional golf, the Players' Championship, is teeing off on this Thursday in Ponte Vedra, Florida. George McNeely has this preview for us from Ponte Vedra. I first set foot on this iconic piece of grass 39 years ago, the year that Freddie Couples beat Lee Trevino by a shot to win the Players. Then, and each year since, the passionate debate continues as to whether the PGA Tour's premier regular season event should be considered golf's fifth major. Last year's U.S. Open winner John Rahm currently holds the number one position in both the FedEx Cup standings and the official world golf ranking. He finished tied for ninth year one year ago and has not missed the cut in five previous starts in Ponte Vedra. This event has long been known for the deepest field in golf, and Rahm, already a three-time winner this season, 
does not expect that to change, despite this new era that the PGA Tour is ushering in. Because of choices, some people may think of opting out of some of those designated events, but nobody's going to opt out of this one. Uh, and I think there is a difference between strictly world ranking points, money, and FedEx Cup points, and then the legacy that a tournament has, right? I mean, winning this event is a big step forward to his Hall of Fame career, right? That's, uh, you are the player's champion, right? Arguably, very close, as close as you can get to being a major champion without officially being one. The Players is the first of five events during this season that will offer 600 FedEx Cup points to the winner, along with the four major championships. The field this week includes 44 of the top 50 players in the world. Now in its 49th year and 41st since the tournament moved to TPC Sawgrass in 1982, the purse is a cool $25 million, with a winner's share of $4.5 million, the largest in PGA Tour history. Many fans enjoy the players even more than some established majors due to the unpredictable nature of the island green, the 17th hole. Jack Nicholas won three players' trophies during the tournament's formative years prior to its move here 40 years ago. Were it ever to be deemed a major like the PGA Championship, the Masters Tournament, the U.S. and Open Championships, there would be a lot of history to rewrite. For example, the record books would have to acknowledge Calvin Peet, Jody Mudd, Stephen Ames, K.J. Choi, and many others as major tournament winners. This long-standing discussion will not be resolved in any one direction today or anytime soon. So let's call it what it is, an enormously entertaining, created-for-television golf tournament that awards a lot of money. Australian Cameron Smith was the best of the best in winning last year's Players' Championship. But he's not here. He's not eligible to defend his title as he opted to leave for the rival Live Golf Tour soon after his major victory in the 150th Open Championship at St. Andrews last summer. From the Players' Championship in Ponte Vedra, Florida, for the sunny side of sports, I'm George McNeely. Thanks, George. Sporty greetings. I am Busio Mugena, South African sports journalist. You are listening to the sunny side of sport on The Voice of America. Do enjoy. Papua Sugalum. It's a name recognized by only the most fanatical golf fans. Papua rose to prominence in the late 1950s when he won several international golf tournaments, the first African of color to achieve this. South Africa's white supremacist government, embarrassed by Papua's achievements and his status as a symbol of the brutality of apartheid, did its best to crush his talents. Darren Taylor filed this feature from Johannesburg. One of the most enduring and tragic images of the apartheid era is a photograph of Papua Sugulum eating a sandwich in a car in the parking lot of the Durban Country Club. It's 1963 and he's leading the Natal Open ahead of 103 white golfers. But he isn't allowed into the clubhouse because of the color of his skin. 
I met with a gentleman by the name of Ratif Waltman that played with my dad in 1963. And Ratif Waltman shared some stories about the tent area that was set aside for my dad in order for him to have his refreshments and change. Papua's son, Rajen, says the racist mistreatment didn't stop his father from winning the Open. In so doing, he became the first non-white person to win an event on the South African professional golf circuit. Later that year, Papua participated in the country's Open Championship, finishing a close second to compatriot and International Golfing Hall of Famer, Gary Player. My dad was a caddy. And, you know, he learned his prowess around the golf course from being a caddy and for caddying for his white counterparts. Papua Sugulam was born in 1930 into a family of poor labourers on a sugar farm in the lush province of Natal. He'd watch golfers on a nearby course and imitate them, hitting stones with sticks of sugarcane. In the late 1950s, Papua was caddying for South African golfer Graham Wolfe. Wolf, impressed by his caddy's talent, arranged for him to try to qualify for the British, French, German and Dutch Open Championships. That is where he excelled. When he won the Dutch Open in 1959, that was the first out of three in a period of six years. For anybody that looks at the Dutch Open trophy itself, they will see names like Bernard Langer, Severiano, Ballastoris and so on etched on that trophy. And having won the tournament and coming back to South Africa, it embarrassed the, the South African PGA. And more importantly, it was the British PGA that allowed my dad to play overseas before South Africa could accept him as a player. In 1965, Papua won the Natal Open for the second time, defeating his friend Gary Player. Player and other white golfers were visibly upset when Papua was forced to accept the trophy outside the Durban Country Club in the rain. He won national and international tournaments throughout the 1960s, raising the ire of the apartheid government. Golf journalist Selvan Naidu says it's tragic that Papua is more recognized in international golfing circles than locally. I don't think his story is told as readily as we want it to be told. Much of the older generation is very aware of the story and this tragic story of denial. What knows what would have happened, you know, if Papua would have, would have been discovered much earlier. He was discovered at 31 years old. Naidu says Papua Sugulam is far from the only lost black South African golfer. People like Vincent Chabalala, Richard uh, Mukhwareani, Simon Cox and Schlapo. You know, these are the great names that we ought to be telling in the broad uh, South African history so that our children remember these names and be able to take these names and allow themselves to be inspired to grow to greater heights and so that hopefully we, we're able to produce that Tiger Woods that all of us once in South Africa. Rajen says right now there's no chance of that happening because present-day golf authorities in the country and the African National Congress government have done little to develop golfers of colour since apartheid ended almost 30 years ago. At the height of apartheid, we produce far more playing professionals than we do now. And that is questionable. In the years that my dad won internationally, there hasn't been a single person of colour that has won in international tournaments subsequent to that. He points out that golf is an expensive sport, 
yet the state refuses to fund clubs in underdeveloped areas and won't subsidize talented black players. Rajen says golf courses in townships are run down. Unless you play on championship golf courses, only then are you able to produce a champion. Since the fall of apartheid, says Naidu, South Africa's produced a long string of world-renowned golfers, including Ernie Els and Retief Khoesen. The latest crop includes Louis Oosthuizen, Charles Swartzel and Brandon Grace. That's great and reason to be proud, says Naidu. But they're all white. There's so few black uh, professional golfers making it out, even in the South African uh, tour. You know, golf's a hard game. It requires a lot of dedication and effort. You've got to put in the yards. Equally, we need government support. We need corporate support. We need individuals to come on board and see those kids from Kwamashu, Amlazi, Phoenix, Chatsworth, and so on come to the fore so that, uh, you know, we develop. And, and equally, we need to see a transformation in the schools. In 1970, South Africa's golf administrators finally gave in to pressure from apartheid's overlords, banning Papua from the country's golf courses. Denied opportunities to pursue the game he loved and excelled at, Papua faded into obscurity and into poverty. He died a few years later in his sleep at the young age of 48. Rajan says cause of death was never established. But, as far as he's concerned, Papua Sugulum died of a broken heart. For the sunny side of sports, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. Thanks, Darren. Around the clock, the Voice of America keeps you in touch with the latest news. Tune in at the top of every hour, every day of the week for the five-minute VOA newscast. We bring you reports from our correspondents and interviews with newsmakers from across the world. Give us five minutes and we'll give you the world. VOA, your trusted source for news and information. Heather Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Wake up, dance this music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station Saturdays and Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. Thanks, Heather. I'm VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. And you're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. In European club football, Bayern Munich and AC Milan both advanced to the quarterfinals Wednesday in the UEFA Champions League tournament. AC Milan played a scoreless draw with Tottenham in London and won the series on a 1-0 aggregate. Bayern beat visiting Paris Saint-Germain. 
2-0 in Munich and won the series on aggregate 3-0. For reaction, Iron Mike Mbonier spoke with the chief football writer at ACLSports.com, Fisayo Dairo. The marquee fixture between Bayern Munich and PSG in Germany on Wednesday night and truly lived up to its expectation from fans across the globe. Yes, it was not as explosive as many would have wanted, but it still served up enough entertainment at the end of the day. And I'm sure many would agree that Bayern Munich were deserving of their victory on the night and their progress on aggregate. Of course, maybe if PSG had converted that golden opportunity they had in the first half when Vitinha's effort was cleared of the line by Matic Delight, maybe... It could have been a different story, but the way football is, Bayern Munich punished PSG's goalkeeping error in the first leg, but PSG could not do the same for the roast in the second leg. By and large, it was 180 minutes of fixture that was worthy of the time, and you know the owners of the Champions League and the sponsors will be delighted with what was on offer from both teams in the end. Bayern Munich, they've shown once again why they are the Champions League landlords. They have won the tournament a number of times and again winning it. They, they seem to be well and truly be one of the favourites for this year's edition of the competition. Italian giant AC Milan forced Tottenham Hotspur to a goalless draw to book another quarter-final ticket. What's your take on the game? The game at the London Stadium on Wednesday night was a fiercely contested one between two teams that had Italian managers. Yeah, having lost the first leg by a solitary goal margin, Tottenham would have thought that they would be on course to overturn that and perhaps make a progress to the next round of the Champions League. But the Italians stood firm on the night and I must um, hail their doggedness, especially defensively and in their midfield third for doing well to frustrate their hosts and advancing to the quarter-final stage of the Champions League for the first time in 11 years. That's how bad AC Milan had fallen from the pecking order of the greats in European football. This was a team that used to win the Champions League. You know, they did back then in 2007. They did in 2003, beating Juventus at the Old Trafford in England. But all of a sudden they're falling down and down the pecking orders and when we're talking about the big teams in Europe but this time around in the quarterfinal they will be delighted and like I said earlier on one has to really give them kudos for the spirited display that they brought out right there at the London Stadium against Tenman Tottenham who had Argentine World Cup winning defender Christian Romero sent off in the second half it was um, not a spectacle of a football match, but I'm sure no Milan fan would complain with the outcome of the game. Fisayo, in the UEFA round of 16 second round games played on Wednesday, did African players contribute or make their marks during the games? A few African superstars were in action in the Champions League games on Wednesday night, especially at that big one at the Allianz Arena in Germany. Just one of the goals for Bayern Munich were scored by the Cameroonian striker Eric Maxim Chupomoting, who had earlier had a goal disallowed for offside. So it was Chupomoting's goal in the second half that sets Bayern Munich on route to that famous win over PSG. 
of course, um, the Senegalese superstar Sadio Mane, who was left on the bench for the game, also came on in the 82nd minute, shortly before Bayern had their second goal scored by German star Sad Grignabry. In that particular game, on the losing side was Akimi Achora from Morocco, who was a right wing back for PSG in that game, although his contributions could do nothing to help his team get anything tangible in that particular game. In the game in London, while there were not many Africans on parade, there was Algerian midfielder Ishmael Benasser who was called on in the 81st minute by the Italians to help solidify the midfield areas and eventually helps them to grind out that result against Tottenham at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Africans will continue to make a name for themselves when given the opportunity and that will never always be in doubt. That's Fisayo Dairo, the chief football writer at ACLSports.com. And Fisayo spoke with Iron Mike Mbonye on the telephone from Uyo, Nigeria. Sporty greetings. This is Fisayo Dairo, chief football writer at ACLSports.com. And you are listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. And that wraps up the March 9th edition of the show. Thank you for tuning in. I'm VOA's Sonny Young in Washington, and that's the sunny side of sports. I get it.